Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Hey, Kaya. Uh, it's good to be with you this Sunday. Uh, we have a special guest today. Pastor Kenny Morgan is going to be hanging out with us, preaching to us today. Before we get into that, uh, I just want to briefly mention, if you need anything, reach out to me. There's a, several phone calls I still need to make this week, uh, catching up with people, uh, but you're on my list, and uh, I'll be reaching out soon. But if you need something, holler at me. Um, I also want to say that it's looking like we'll probably be able to do small group gatherings soon uh, in order to, to watch the live stream at one another's houses and, and to catch Kaya together as, as small groups. So be looking for and, and waiting on information from your Bible study leaders about that. Um, but for the time being, um, uh, we're going to keep doing what we're doing and, and um, trust the Lord that He's going to make a way for us to come back together. With all that said, uh, I want to pray for you, and then I'll turn it over to Kenny. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for Kaya. Uh, God, I pray for um, our time together right now, uh, that we would have attentive ears, uh, Lord, uh, desires to obey you and um, and to follow you with everything that we have, Lord, that we would abandon uh, things in our life that we know offend you and, uh, and cause distraction from the work of the ministry. So help us, protect us, and uh, give us purpose today. In your son's name, amen. All right, y'all. I'll see you later. Hello, Kaya. What a delight to be with you, even if it's in this format. And I definitely am envisioning so many faces of uh, just sweet brothers and sisters that I've had the joy of just having time with, whether it be in Discipleship 2 or uh, just different ministry opportunities throughout MBT or Malawi, Africa. Uh, there's so many of you that I, I just have just very fond memories of. So it really is a treat, my treat, to be able to just to have some time with you, even if it's like this. Yeah, I would prefer to be able to be in St. Paul's with you on a Sunday morning, opening up the Word of God. But God's word doesn't return void. We know that. So we'll take what we can get. And we know that God will use this to to, to be a, a blessing to us because of the power of his word. And so I'm very excited to be able just to open the word of God uh, with you right now. And, and just to say thank you. Uh, what an encouragement you all have been during this very difficult time. This is a time of distress, not just for uh, Americans and, and people all over the world, but this is a time of distress for MBT, and you all have been just marvelous examples of faithfulness and and champions of the gospel, just leading us and modeling for us uh, how we still serve the Lord in this situation. And so, what a blessing, what an encouragement, what a shot in the arm uh, you have been. To MBT, so thank you. As I as I waited on the Lord to to just spend some time with you in the Word uh, today, I was brought to a place of peace from uh, just to spend some time with you from Proverbs chapter eighteen. That's where we're going to be today in Proverbs chapter eighteen. This is one of uh, the greatest chapters. It is exceptional when it comes to interpersonal relationships, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to spend some time uh, looking at 
uh, relationships. And, and I do believe that God has a word for us. Uh, there's so much to be encouraged about in MBT. Uh, so much to be encouraged about in Kaya, for sure, as I mentioned just a moment ago, just all the, the many ways that, that you are even leading MBT during this time. But what I continue to learn is that one of our greatest enemies, hands down, uh, in the body of Christ is division. It, it is it is, it is, is there. It is an issue. It is a great threat to, uh, obviously, our unity, but a great threat to us actually uh, finishing the work that we've been given to do. You know, when the Apostle Paul began uh, writing his epistle to the church at Corinth, you think about all the different issues that he had to address and that he did address in that in that first epistle. Uh, we should not overlook the fact that the first thing that he addresses in his letter to them regarding their dysfunction was the issue of their contentions, that there were contentions among them. You see that in chapter 1, uh, there in verses 10 and 11, he begins talking about their unity. And so today, what we're going to look at from Proverbs 18, and there's probably more, but we're going to just identify five relationship enemies. And, and just as a heads up, I just want to let you know, this is going to be challenging in some spots. I'm certain of it. It was challenging for me to just put together and, and examine and reflect and search my heart. And so uh, I would just encourage you when you come to the word of God and the Holy Spirit begins to deal with you in a very strong way. You know, don't despise that. Embrace that. God is using that to conform you more into the image of his son. Although it may be uncomfortable, it's worth it. So embrace it. Don't despise it. And so we're going to look at <clears throat> those five relationship enemies. And then what we're going to do uh, after we walk through those is we're going to look at five counters to them. And so we're going to look at how we how we overcome or reverse those. And so as I've seen in my own life and lives of so many other people, uh, just these five enemies that we're going to look at are so very destructive. They are destructive in marriage. They are destructive in relationships. They are destructive in in our in, in ministry in terms of working with others. If if the where, where you find these enemies, uh, you find great problems and and you find the work being hindered. So why don't we pray, and then we're going to hop in here in Proverbs eighteen. Lord, thank you uh, for allowing us to to be together, even. Uh, through a recording, God, how you can use that, how you can use technology to further the mission, how you can use it to accomplish what you desire in your people. And so, God, would you please just illuminate your word for us today and speak to us as only you can. And God, help us to embrace what is difficult or challenging. Let us not justify or excuse it away. Let us see it coming from you. And then, God, uh, respond how you would have us to. We know that if we do that, God will please you and we'll be a blessing to people. So God, for your glory alone, would you accomplish this in Jesus' name? Amen. So the first enemy that we're going to focus on is found in verses 2, 13, and 17. So Proverbs 18, 2, 13, and 17. Verse 2 says, A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. And in verse 13, he that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. 
and in verse 17. He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. And so the first enemy to relationships, or the first relationship enemy that we're looking at right now, is the enemy of a selfish outlook. That is relationship enemy number one, a selfish outlook. This is a perspective. This is a view that one takes where in every conversation, in every situation, it is their perspective, it is their view, it is their opinion that reigns supreme. This individual is 100% convinced that they are right and that it is impossible for them not to be right. Proverbs 18 gives us a very vivid picture of this person as we just read through these verses. This is someone that has no delight in understanding verse 2. That is, they are far more interested in instructing than they are learning. Their heart only wants to discover itself. In other words, their perspective, their insight, their opinion is the bottom line. And they are zealous to communicate that, to express that, and let that be known. No other insight, no other perspective, no other input matters except theirs. Foolishly to their shame, they answer a matter before hearing it. Verse 13, this person is without confessing it overtly, but they are in their own right, in their mind, they are omniscient. They are all-knowing. And so because of that, they overtalk others and they shut others down because they don't need to hear. They just simply need to be heard. They are first in their own cause, verse 17. If there is a disagreement, if there is a dispute, they will be sure to make sure that they present their case first to the pastor or whoever is they're sharing this with. And in doing so, uh, they will be certain to position themselves as the victim. They have been wrong, no doubt about it, because they can't be wrong. And so I've learned the hard way. Uh, one of the hardest lessons I've learned when it comes to marriage counseling, I've learned that to reserve judgment on any marriage that is in, in conflict until you get both husband and wife in the room together. Because when you have marriage conflict, mark it down, a selfish outlook exists somewhere in that marriage. One or both of the spouses have this. And when you have this, what you're going to do is you're always going to present your cause first and you're going to present it in a way that says you are the victim. They're wrong and you're right. And so uh, the same is true when believers aren't, aren't getting along. You get believers together and there's a quarrel, there's a, there's a dispute, a disagreement. And when you have this outlook in one of the parties, uh, they will be sure to get to Pastor Brandon first and make sure Pastor Brandon hears their perspective on it and mark it down. What they're going to do is position the details in such a way where when the dust clears, they have been wronged. And what they'll also do selfishly is they'll leave out some very critical details that might change uh, Pastor Brandon's perspective or his view on the matter. And those things were left out intentionally because they weren't advantageous to their cause. And so in any conversation you have with this person, it's going to be about them each and every time. They are not interested in others except what they believe 
they are owed from others. This is a very selfish outlook. This person is impossible to live with. They're impossible to walk with. They're impossible to worship with. They're impossible to serve with because they are absolutely obsessed with themselves. It's a selfish outlook. Now, let me just tell you this. If, 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 if the Holy Spirit is squeezing you right now, if this is you, the people that have to deal with you often, I will promise you, they love you. But I would also promise you, they are suffering because of you. This is a miserable outlook to possess, and it wreaks havoc on relationships. And so that's the first relationship enemy, a selfish outlook. Next, we look at verse 14 as we identify the second relationship enemy. Uh, Proverbs 18, 14 says, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear? Now, this is this is very delicate, what we're about to deal with here. And so uh, you definitely want to be praying right now and asking the Lord to prepare your heart to receive uh, where we're about to go here. But what we're looking at here from this verse and what it is communicating is extremely sober. When a person has pain in their in their body, in their physical body, their spirit, the Bible shows us here, can sustain or will sustain or bear that. But when their spirit is wounded, the rhetorical question is, who can bear? In other words, it doesn't work the other way around. A wounded spirit speaks to someone who is in mental or emotional pain or mental and emotional pain. This word wounded that we see here in this verse is also translated three times in our Old Testament as broken. With that in mind, consider what the Bible says in Proverbs 15 verse 13. It says, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. And so the first enemy that we looked at to relationships is a selfish outlook. Here's the second one, a broken spirit. The second relationship enemy we're talking about is a broken spirit. The strongest believers have bad days. They have bad episodes. That's just part of being human. But someone who can be categorized as having a broken spirit is someone who lives in constant mental and emotional distress. This is their life. They swim in this. They are drowning in it. Now, let me qualify why this is an enemy to relationships. Verse 14 ends in that rhetorical question, as we stated, but a wounded spirit who can bear? A wounded spirit is unbearable. And as heavy as that statement is, it only gets amplified by this next point. Because not only is a broken or wounded spirit unbearable, but the person who lives in constant mental and emotional distress, they are also unbearable. They are also unbearable. Someone who is persistently down, distressed, um, I can't say <laughs> depressed. Sorry, I got tongue tied there. Someone who is persistently down, 
if you need a little humor, you just got it. I, I could not formulate the word depressed. Sorry, I got I got a traffic jam in my head. That's what happens when you get 47, guys. So this is what you have to look forward to. But someone who is persistently down, depressed, there we go, discouraged, despondent, dejected, always in a state of despair, they're burdensome. And it doesn't mean that people don't love them. It doesn't mean that people hate them. But when that's you, you are a burden in a relationship. Now, I've lived long enough and I've been in ministry long enough to know that life happens to us all. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you are the richest, the poorest, the most educated, non-educated. It, it, it doesn't matter. Life is going to happen to all of us. And so with that said, some have experienced great loss. They have. They've lost something or someone that meant a great deal to them. That's part of the life package. Some have been wounded and betrayed massively by someone. Someone crossed a line in your life and, I mean, they inflicted unimaginable hurt and pain upon your life, physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually. I mean, they wounded you in a very deep way. Uh, some have sinned at a level that is so great that they wonder if God's grace is sufficient enough for that. And they wonder, can God even love me after what I've done? And so all it's those kinds of things that, that, that happen in life that, that, that lead to this place of a wounded spirit, a broken spirit. And, 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 and those things are representative of the person who is living in this state. They, they have not got beyond that. And while the people who surround them love them, those people are often in a state of desperation as they don't know what to say or what to do to help this person move on. It is an enemy of relationships. Again, it's unbearable for all who are involved with that person relationally. And it makes having a healthy relationship with them virtually impossible. Next, we move to our third enemy of relationships. And it's found in verse 21 of Proverbs 18. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Now, uh, we we get an amplified picture of what we just read in Proverbs eighteen twenty one in the book of James chapter three, where it talks about the tongue and it makes the point essentially that the tongue may be small, but it is deadly. It can be deadly. And in it, as we see here in Proverbs eighteen twenty one, in it 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 has the power of death and life. Now we just talked about a broken spirit. And I've talked to, I've talked with broken people over the years, people who live in this state. And they can tell you verbatim, word for word, something that was said to them by a parent or a loved one that cut them so deep that that brought death or spoke death into them on some level. And this happened 30, 40, 50 years ago. And I've met and I've talked with people who are still hurting and aching and ailing over, 
over that over what was said over that statement and just amplifies what the bible was talking about life and death really are in the power of the tongue the tongue can be deadly and so we have to understand that and so when we use our tongue what we have to understand is this and this is how it's going to work every single time when you use your tongue when you speak you are either going to speak words of life or words of death that is the that that is in the power of the tongue you will use it to speak life into people or you'll use it to speak words of death and and i have i have witnesses and again as a father uh, having children and and it is amazing what happens i can see it in the in the faces of my children I can see it in, in their body when I speak words of life. When I tell them, thank you, or I'm so proud of you, or great job, or one of the things I so appreciate about you is when you do this, or you're such a blessing to our family, uh, you have a great testimony of the Lord. The same with my wife. When I compliment her and thank her and and treasure her with my words, it, it speaks life into her. But I'm also capable of speaking death. If I'm overly critical and I'm sour and I'm negative, and th those are words of death. And the rest of the verse issues a warning because of what, of, of what the verse says in the beginning about, about, the, 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 about the tongue having the power of life and of death and life. It says, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. The fruit thereof, the fruit of the tongue, is always going to be either death or life. So given that the tongue has the power to bring both, we should be very careful with how we use it. Knowing that what we say can either heal or kill, knowing that what we say can either bring life or death, says, I better be careful. We have to view the tongue like a loaded gun, right? If you have a loaded gun, the last thing you want to do is be flippant about that or be around someone who is flippant with a loaded gun. It's dangerous because if it goes off, it can what? It can take a life. It can kill. Well, the tongue is the same way. It can, it, 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 it can kill or it can heal. It can bring death or it can bring life. And so... Here's our, our third relationship enemy, and it is an unbridled tongue. An unbridled tongue. So we've looked at uh, a selfish outlook. We've looked at a broken spirit. And our third relationship enemy is an unbridled tongue. An unbridled tongue. Th this is someone who exercises zero restraint in their speech. They say whatever, whenever comes to mind. It just, it, 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 it's just, here it comes. It comes out. They only think after they've spoken, okay? Contrary to the command of Scripture in James chapter 1, this person, instead of being swift to hear and slow to speak, they are swift to speak and slow to hear, not wise, they always have something to say, and they always have much to say. Now, Proverbs 18 here paints a vivid picture of the problems that this causes in relationships. And you see it. Look at verse 6. It says, A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. Verse 7. 
A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Verse 8, the words of a tellbearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Now, would you notice very clearly the associations of the tongue that we that we see in those verses? In verse 6, the tongue is associated with contention and strokes. In verse 7, it's associated with destruction and a snare. In verse 8, it's associated with a tailbearer and wounds. It's, I mean, it's, again, this is you, this is something that the believer in Jesus Christ absolutely must exercise restraint over is the tongue. Now, and it, it brings me great joy to just, to just share with you and, any chance I get to, to to just brag on the Lord in terms of the wife that I married, I I love to take it because I married a very very special woman. I married a Christ-like woman, and I love her as is, no doubt about it. But one of the many traits that I so treasure and value and appreciate about her is she has a meek and quiet spirit. She is a woman, praise the Lord, she is a woman who studies to be quiet. And what a joy, what a blessing. And I, I, I thank God in these 17 and a half years that God has, has used that trait in her to teach me, to teach me the value of a meek and quiet spirit. That is not something that is just for women, <laughs> Uh, a meek and quiet spirit glorifies God in women and in men. And so I'm very, very thankful because you know what? It's so very hard. Listen, it is hard to war with someone who has a bridled tongue. It's difficult. And my wife has, I, I've learned that from my wife. Uh, we have averted so much conflict over the years because she just bridles her tongue. She studies to be quiet. Listen, contention and destruction in relationships would dissipate greatly if people would simply grow up and bridle their tongue. If they would study to be quiet, more than a few marriages and relationships have been destroyed. You know why? Because of an unbridled tongue. A tongue that has no restraint, that just says whatever, whenever, wherever, just will not hold back, will not hold its peace, has to say whatever comes to mind, whatever comes to heart. They have to, they have to speak, they have to give their opinion. That is a detrimental trait to any relationship. Next, verse 19. It says, a brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Now this enemy is akin to the broken spirit, but it is different enough to stand alone. But what you have here is a person who is unwinnable. You cannot win them. And someone who is unwinnable is someone who is impossible to have a healthy, productive, edifying, unifying relationship with. They're unwinnable. 
they're harder to be won, it says, in a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. The bars of a castle are impenetrable. You can't get beyond them. You can't penetrate them. You can't win them. You, 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 can't, you, you can't make ground with them. You can't make progress. You can't move forward with them. You can't win. They are unwinnable. And, and, and that trait, that, that, that trait of, of that, 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 that we're looking at here, it starts with them being offended. That's what we see here in, in, in this verse. A brother offended. It starts with them being offended. So here's our fourth relationship enemy, and it is a hypersensitive heart. A hypersensitive heart. Those in relationship with this kind of person constantly live in a way where they're constantly navigating their relationship like someone walking through a field saturated with landmines. They are constantly trying to avoid setting this person who is hypersensitive off. They're, 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 just, they're just on eggshells, right? Because they know that that one, that one thing that is misperceived or construed as a slight or, or anything like that can set them off. Uh, th this is a th this is a difficult relationship to navigate, and it absolutely imprisons those who have to live with it day in and day out. One, I mean, it it, it is you 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 can't you 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 feel like you can almost say no right, and you can do no right in their eyes, and and if you do and and when you disappoint them when you offend them when you let them down the repercussions are severe aren't they because this person will punish you because you've once again you've hurt them you've let them down you've disappointed them and so it's they retreat and they get behind the bars of their castle and say, you can plead and beg, but I will not get over this. I will not forgive you. I will not let this go. I'm going to just punish you indefinitely for this. This is brutal. And unfortunately, I can tell you in ministry, you don't get to avoid dealing with people like this. And I will tell you, they are anything but a treat to deal with. And I'm not, I'm not shocked anymore, but there was a time in, in my life and my, as a pastor where I used to, I used to be stunned to learn, um, how that I had offended people without even knowing it or without even having the slightest intent. I mean, it, it could be something as trivial as maybe they wanted to talk to me on a Sunday morning, but yet, I was talking with someone and before I could I, I, I could take a step to go somewhere else, someone else came up and I started talking with them and and this person extracted from that that I don't love them or they don't matter to me or I don't care about them. And I, A, I had no idea they wanted to talk to me. B, I, I can only, I, I mean, there are five other people that just, you know, I meant nothing by it, but but they were somehow offended by that. And and but but here's where this trait takes a very very dark turn. Okay, because listen, 
hypersensitive people tend to be people who guess what who pe are people who don't bridle their tongue right and so here's the thing they're they're very outspoken but they're also hypersensitive again that makes for an unwinnable relationship and you'll see this in dysfunctional marriages you'll see a hypersensitive spouse a hypersensitive spouse who doesn't have a bridled tongue and so they're going to speak out and they're going to speak up and they're going to speak loudly and they're going to make their point and they're going to make their demands and and they're going to express their hurts and how they've been violated and cheated in the marriage and they're going to do that with great passion and energy but yet when the other spouse responds it's all they can do to restrain themselves from exploding <laughs> Because God forbid that they could be wrong. God forbid that, that, that they aren't right. This is a person who cannot be critiqued or corrected. It's awful. And no matter how hard others try, their efforts are never good enough. And they always seem to fall short of the expectations of the hypersensitive. Nice try, but try again. You just haven't done enough. You never do enough. And then finally, we come to verse 24, and we read, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Now, it is doctrinally accurate to point out that Jesus is the friend of sinners, and we thank the Lord for that truth. And Solomon was pointing out here that that there are some friends in life who are going to stick closer than family. And I can, I can attest to that. I thank God uh, deeply for the circle of friends that I have. I, I have. I have some friends that I know and that I am closer to than blood family. And I thank God for each and every one of those people. I am a very wealthy man. I, I have some extremely dear friends in my life, and God is so good. But God wired us for relationships. I think we all know that by now. This is why even introverts have a desire for relationships on some level. But if I've heard it once, I know you have too. We've all heard it a thousand times, and it goes something like this. I went to that church, and no one said hi to me. Or I went to that class and no one spoke to me. And, and that may be true, but my internal thought is always this. Well, how many people did you say hello to? Right? I mean, that, that, that's fair. See, when it comes to relationships, directly and indirectly, we are always sending messages. And we're, we do this all the time. And listen, those messages are always saying one of two things. It's either saying we're open or we're closed. But we're always sending those kinds of messages in relationships. Here's the fifth relationship enemy, and it's an antisocial approach. An antisocial approach. People who have friends are people who deliberately send the message that they desire friends. They show themselves friendly. They say and do things that say, listen, I desire to have a relationship with you. I desire to get to know you. 
They speak to others instead of waiting for others to speak to them. They initiate it. They don't wait. They they step out and 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 they they let it be known. Again, they send a message. Listen, I am open to a relationship with you. In conversation, they express that they are far more interested in getting to know others. Right? They want to know. Listen, how's class going? Hey, I heard you got a new job. How's your new job going? What are you discovering in God's word these days? I love to hear what's God what what God has placed on your heart. How can I be praying for you right now? This is the behavior of someone that is showing themselves friendly. This is the behavior of someone that is open and showing that they desire a relationship with others. Listen, anti-socialism is a covert form of selfishness. We may not see it that way initially, but when you get beneath the surface of it, it is exactly that. Anti-socialism is a very selfish approach to life because it is cloaked very often in the excuses of someone being bashful or introverted. And so because I'm bashful, because I'm introverted, that now gives me the right to take a closed disposition. And so I get to retreat and pull and put myself in a corner and wait for the entire world to come and show me that they want to be my friend. But the reality is, 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 is when, and when they show up, they show up with a very selfish expectation. And when you show up that way, there's only one outcome for you, and that's disappointment. Again, this is, or it makes for, an unwinnable relationship. We've said this often. We talk about this in Life Fellowship. I know I've shared this in, in, in different areas, platforms, teaching platforms. But it goes like this, and this is worth writing down. The only people in life who are never disappointed are servants. The only people in life who are never disappointed are servants. That is a principle, that is a lesson that God taught me that will stay with me until my last breath. Servants are never disappointed because the only expectation they possess is to serve, not to be served. So whenever and wherever they show up, they are always more interested in others than they are themselves. And so those are the five relationship enemies. And, and listen, when you get a group of people together and you mix these things together, you mix these enemies, these five enemies are living and breathing, you can now understand how challenging it becomes now to live together, to walk together, to serve together. These enemies are absolutely Contrary to that, they do not provoke or facilitate unity at all. And so in order to win in, in, our, in the mission, we have to win in our relationships. And to win in our relationships, we have to eradicate these five enemies. And this brings us to the five basic counters to the five relationship enemies. And this is how... 
we win in relationships, and this is how we win together in the mission. The first one is this. Get over yourself. Let me repeat. Get over yourself. Here's the biblical phrase that frames this for us, and it's found in Acts 20, verse 24. But the statement goes like this. Paul said, Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. In that statement, here's what the Apostle Paul was confessing. What he was confessing was this. It's not about me. It's not about me. I'm not a big deal. I'm not important. I'm not significant. It's not about my comfort. It's not about how others view me, treat me. It's not about any of that. After that Damascus Road encounter with the risen Christ, Paul's life after that was about one thing, the mission. It was about finishing the work that God had given him. It was about that to God's pleasure, honor, and glory. His life, he did not value his life above the mission. The person who possesses a selfish outlook does so because they have yet to learn, and they even refuse to learn, that this life is not about them. It's not. Life and relationships, listen, they go downhill when you small yourself. When you small when you say, Lord, listen, I, I I don't I'm not a king, I'm not a queen, and so Lord, I don't demand, expect, or need that kind of treatment. God, it's not about me. God, it's all about you. It's all about your glory. And God, it's about the salvation and edification of people. And so my life is given to that. That's, that's what my life is all about. That's who my life is all about. God, it's about you and people. That's it. God, it, it, it's, I, I don't matter. Now, listen, I'm not teaching or advocating some false humility or, or, or self-degradation. None of that. But listen, a genuine recognition and acceptance of living the mission to the glory of God is always going to be far more significant than my life and yours individually. So get over yourself. I have to get over myself. And God, it's not about me. I'm not the center of anything. God, you and the mission and what pleases you and brings you glory. God, that is the centerpiece of everything in my life. So get over yourself. Number two, get up. Get up after that dreadful defeat at Ai in the book of Joshua. God said to Joshua in Joshua 7 verse 10, he said to Joshua, get thee up. Get thee up. That was a, a moment, a season of failure and, and, and Joshua was down on his face and, and he was mourning that. God says, get thee up. 
Peter fell, the Lord Jesus Christ miserably, but the Lord would use him in a far greater capacity after that. It was a dreadful failure. It was awful. It was a, one of the worst things that a person could do. It was the worst thing that Peter ever did. But the Lord wasn't finished with him. The Lord still had a plan. The Lord still had work for him. Peter had to get up from that failure and in the grace of God, move forward and move on. The Lord Jesus Christ was violated and abused by men, but he rose from the dead in victory. Praise the Lord. And so some of you who, who are listening or viewing this, some of you have been down an awfully long time. A wounded spirit, a broken spirit. And what God is saying to you right now is get up. It's time to get up. You've been in this place too long. Get up, he says. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the indwelling of his spirit, his word are significantly greater than the wound you experienced or even the wound you inflicted. So get up. According to God's word, there is nothing you can't do in Christ. Philippians 4.13. God's word tells us that if we walk in the spirit, Galatians chapter 5, guess what? We'll be people of love, not hate. Uh, people of joy, not bitterness. People of peace, not depression. Get up. You can get up. You have to get up. Three, get quiet. Get quiet. The reason that Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, the reason that he said study to be quiet is because that is unnatural for most of us. For most people, it is unnatural to be quiet. For most people, it is natural to be swift to speak and slow to hear. That's natural for most people. But what we have to understand is the Bible places a very high premium on silence. It does, right? As much as we appreciate silence when we go to the movies, right? You know, I remember what is the previews that tell you when you go see a movie, it says silence is what? It's golden, Right. When someone pays what you're paying now to go see a movie, I mean, man, forget about it. I mean, I know for me, for my family to go see a movie, man, that's I got to take out a loan. <laughs> All right. The last thing I want to do is pay that kind of money to go see a movie and have people around me talking. Silence is golden. But listen to the premium that the Bible places on silence, and listen to the value of silence. Listen, Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool. When he holdeth his peace is counted wise, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. The Bible is saying that we never we should never talk. That, that, that's not the teaching or the message, right? It, it's, it's that we learn when to speak, and we learn what to say when we do. That's the message. And I, I've seen this once again countless times in my precious wife. There be there have been times where I have said something to her, I have mentioned something or brought up something, and and I just got the impression that she didn't think it was that important or she just blew it off or whatever it might be. And, you know, 
And I would come, I've come to learn many times over the years, but it was anything but that. The issue was she heard what I said and, and she heard what was on my heart. But you know what she did? <laughs> she took it to the Lord in prayer. She prayed about it. And she waited on God to reveal to her his, his heart on it, his perspective on it, his view on it, his truth about it, before she would say anything to me about it. And sometimes that, I mean, we're talking three weeks later, two months later, and I, man, I've slept a lot since I talked about it. I've totally forgotten about it. It's off my radar. But she was waiting on the Lord to say, okay, God, I want to make sure that I say what you would have me to say. Man, praise the Lord. What a, what a blessing. <laughs> and, and, and listen, I, I, I have learned from that. And so if you have a critique or you have something negative to say about someone or to someone, you want to do that first. Pray on it. Think on it and then speak on it, not speak on it and then go back later and pray about it because of the damage you've done. No, 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 no. Pray on it. Think on it. And then you're ready to speak on it. So then you'll know exactly what to say, when to say it and how to say it. You'll be able to speak words of life, not death. One of the things that helps with this tremendously is getting over yourself. You get over yourself, then guess what? You get to the place now where your opinion, your input doesn't have to be heard. You're not dying because you didn't get to speak or weigh in. You're not. You're not bursting to go run to somebody and, and, and tell them the juicy details about some dark thing that you've learned about somebody else. You, 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 no, because you have learned to bridle your tongue. You've learned to get quiet. You've learned to respect silence the way that the Bible does. And so next, the fourth thing that we have to do is get a hold of ourselves. So get a hold of yourself. Get a hold of yourself. Uh, Proverbs 25, 28 is a, an, just... A verse of pure gold and silver. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Now, I want to make this statement and I would encourage you to write it down. Okay, this is the statement. I am always responsible for me. I am am always responsible for me. That is the statement. And that is the message of Proverbs 25, 28. If there was a verse for the hypersensitive, this is it. This is the verse. Because here's what we have to understand. And this is, this is true across the board for everyone. Okay. No one, and I do mean no one, can make you angry or make you happy. No one can do that. We are absolutely, totally, 100% responsible for ourselves emotionally. That is always the truth. And the key to doing this, the key to ruling our spirit is to be ruled by the spirit, 
That is the key. You can and you will only rule your spirit when you are being ruled or governed by the Spirit of God. So someone can be completely irrational, they can be unreasonable, they can be even disagreeable, downright disagreeable. But if you're walking in the Spirit of God at the time, not only will you not be offended, but you'll be able to respond properly to the glory of God. When you're walking in the Spirit of God, it doesn't matter what anybody else says or what they do. Some of you give people power over you. You have handed them the keys to your emotional state. So depending on what they say or what they do determines your mood. That's unbiblical. No, 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 no. As believers, we are commanded to walk in the Spirit of God. That is what we do. And so we give the keys to our spirit. We give the keys to our emotions to the Spirit of God. And He, therefore, controls how we feel. And so just because someone around us is having an awful day, or whatever it might be, that's not my issue. My issue is to walk in the Spirit so I can respond to that properly. And fifth, and not least, get interested. Get interested. Release yourself from expecting anything from others, particularly as, as it pertains to relationships. That simple principle will absolutely turn your life upside down for the better. If you release yourself from expecting anything from others emotionally, you will be amazed how your life will, I mean, it, it, it will be overnight, overnight. Because listen, needy people are miserable in life because they have not learned that it is God and God alone who meets their every need, not people. As long as you keep looking to people to meet and feed your emotional needs, you will find yourself in the field of disappointment time and time and time and time again. It's not until you learn to look to God to supply and provide you and fill every need that you have emotionally. No husband can do that. No wife can do that. No pastor can do that. No person can do that. Listen to what the Bible says to us in Psalm 107, verse 9. It says this, For he, God, satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. I'll say it again. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Listen, there isn't a human being alive that you could ever say that about. Psalm 107 verse 9 tells you that it is God and God alone who fills our needs and our longings. It is God who satisfies and fills, not people. They never have been able to do that. They cannot, and they never will. So as long as you keep bypassing God to look to people, you'll be that person who is needy all the time. 
You'll be the person that people, when they see you or they see you coming, they cringe. They cringe. You know why? Because they know that if if they if they if they begin engaging with you, they begin interacting with you, they know they can feel that you need something, that you're needy, that you want something from them, that you want to drain them, you want to just unload just your life and your problems and your this and your that and and what they're feeling is is somehow I think you want me to maybe fix that for you and I don't know how because every time I talk to you this this is you it's you're just needy listen no one can fulfill you and satisfy you and meet your needs except God and so we have to learn that See, when you walk with God intimately, guess what happens when you show up with people? All of your needs are being met. They are, which allows you now, guess what, to show up with an interest in people. Not an interest in what they can do for you. No, 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 no. But an interest in what you can do for them. See, because God is meeting all your needs. All your needs are being met. You you don't need anything from people. So when you show up, you're not off in a corner somewhere in the room with a closed disposition sulking because five people haven't broken their necks to get to you to make sure you feel comfortable and welcomed. Far from it. See, what happens is, is you're not, you're not, you aren't showing up, um, uh, looking to get attention. You don't need that. You know why? Because God is giving you all the attention that you could ever want or need. So you don't need attention from people. When you show up, you don't have to be the center of attention. You know what you do when you show up? When you get interested in people, guess what you do? You show up now not to get attention, but you show up to give attention. You show up to give attention to others. Get interested. And so when you are engaged in discussions with others, you're not looking to get something from them. You are looking to give something to them. You know why? Because, man, God has filled your life. God has satisfied your longing soul. And so guess what? Because God has filled you up, because God has loaded you up spiritually, emotionally, and every other kind of way. Guess what? You've got so much to give and you're excited to give it. You can't wait to show up and you can't wait to just share and unload on people just the bounty of all you've received from the Lord. Now, you show me a marriage. You show me a relationship. You show me a church. You show me a class that is made up of people who have gotten over themselves, people who've gotten up, people who've gotten quiet, people who've gotten a hold of themselves, people who've gotten interested in others. And I'll show you a people who are pleasing God in a very high way. I'll show you people who are bearing much fruit for his glory. And I'll show you a people who are absolutely enjoying one another to the fullest. Amen.
So would you just take some time? Uh, I know you've taken notes. Uh, take some time to sit with the Lord. I, I don't know exactly how God has dealt with each and every one of you as it pertains to this, but I do know that his word has been put forth. And I do know that the Holy Spirit has placed some things on your heart to reflect on and think about. And so I would encourage you to take some time to meet with God and you take as long as you need to take to just talk to, with the Lord and pour your heart out, confess what needs to be confessed, and then just beg God for strength to be able to make whatever adjustment or adjustments toward obedience that he would have you to make for his glory and for the edification of others and for the advancement of the mission. Amen. I look forward to seeing you soon. Look forward to hearing from you all. Thank you for the opportunity uh, just to minister the word of God to you. And uh, I, I trust that that it was a blessing and a challenge. Okay. Love you all. And we'll be in touch. All right. Bye bye. today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.liv.